Hey everyone, this is the Mr. Mike Agostino, and the views expressed on this show are mine and mine alone. I do not have any affiliation with Sport Lisboa Benfica. I do not represent Sport Lisboa Benfica. I do not represent any Casas do Benfica, any supporters group, any other type of organization officially um, established within um, Sport Lisboa Benfica. These views are completely mine. They are 100% unsanctioned and 100% independent. Enjoy the show. They were 4-1 down in the 
Carlos Albuquerque, estamos em direto da RTP. Desculpe lá voltar um bocadinho atrás, mas sente que foi injustamente expulso ou não. Uh, Deixe-me também perguntar-lhe se não sente que a equipa hoje, em alguns elementos, esteve uns furos abaixo daquilo que, que é normal e subir. É, é um duplo um sim, não é? Primeiro, na Liga Europa existe um monitor junto ao banco e quando... Quando foi o, o lance do gol, eu, eu venho para o, para, para o banco e, e quando reparo que na televisão uh, o jogador está em fora de jogo, dou dois ou três passos mais rápidos para o quarto árbitro e digo-lhe que está fora de jogo e viro-me para o árbitro e o hábito de nós, como em Portugal, temos vara de pedir o VAR ainda ontem, uh, também pelo jogo da Liga dos Campeões de, de, do VAR, e o hábito de pedir o VAR e fez o sinal do VAR. What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome to episode 10 of Mr. Benfica. I'm your host, the Mr. Mike Agostinho. And we're getting right into it today. There's not going to be a lot of... Uh, the format's going to be a little bit different today, guys. Uh, we're going to start with the most recent game. Uh, it's not going to be as much of an analysis. It's just going to be a reaction. Um... Benfica have been eliminated from the Europa League, as I'm sure all of you know, um, in a somewhat controversial, well, not somewhat, in, an, in a controversial way, but also um, in a manner in which uh, Benfica really did not play well. And Benfica really, uh, I'm in the school of thought that have no one to blame but themselves. I'm not crying uh, about the referee in this in this situation. Um, yes, it was a bad it was a bad mistake by the by the referee and the referee's assistant. But but uh, Benfica had almost an hour still to get a goal. Um, Benfica failed to do so. They went to Germany. I said a week ago on this podcast that Befica had the responsibility, regardless of who Bruno Lage put out on the field, of holding a 2 nothing lead. I stand by that statement. Yes, yeah, some of the selection was uh, questionable. However, it was consistent with the way that um, the matches in this competition had been managed up until this point. So it shouldn't be as surprising as it seems to be for everybody. But regardless... That team that was put on the field has no excuse for not holding on to a a two goal lead. Um, even on the road in Germany, they had a two goal lead. Um, again, this is a reoccurring thing. This happened not long ago in the Taça de Portugal. Okay, once again, Benfica go out on away goals. Okay, another again the round is tied. This time it's four four rather than two two, as it was with Sporting in the in the. Portuguese Cup in the Taça de Portugal. However, this one ends up 4-4. But again, it's the two away goals that Benfica allowed in their home stadium. And this time against 10 men that really make the difference. Um, I've been worried about the inability of getting clean sheets. I've said that. Go back in the archives, listen to, to the past shows. Even when things have been great, I have said that I've been concerned with a few things about Benfica. And one of them was the way they were conceding goals. And it really came back to haunt Benfica in this in this Europa League 
quarterfinal second leg, and uh, especially in the first leg, giving away two away goals, as I said, and failing to to get any away goals of our own when when going to Germany. Um, you heard there at the at the top of the show, right after the intro, you heard the hi- the audio highlights for Bleacher Report Live, courtesy or I should say, courtesy of Bleacher Report, um, the English language world feed for the Europa League. You also heard Bruno Lage explaining in Portuguese his uh, sending off. I'll translate real quickly. He basically said, and this is in- an interesting fact. And I found this I found this interesting at least. He says, In the Europa League there's a monitor next to the benches. Why in a competition with when there is no VAR, the organizing body, this in this case UEFA, places monitors next to the benches just so the coaches can see that the referee got it wrong. In this case, Brutalize admits, you know that in Portugal they have the habit of asking for the VAR, the VAR. Bruno Lage looks at the fourth official and does the box with his fingers like the referee does, asking for the play to be reviewed on VAR, and that is a sending off. Uh, unfortunately, that is the rule, a rule that is absolutely not enforced or even acknowledged in Portuguese football, but I believe it was back when VAR was first introduced in the Confederations Cup, if I'm not mistaken, in 2017. I remember, I remember hearing... That the rule was that if any players did the signal asking for the VAR, when players petitioned for a VAR, that was a sending off. Obviously, the same holds for coaches. And in Portuguese football, like like I've said, our our league and our referees are a joke, and they don't they they decide which rules they enforce, which ones they don't, and people get in the habit of doing things they can't do, such as signaling for the VAR when. You're in a competition where there isn't even VAR in use, <laughs> but you just you've developed the habit of of making that signal with your fingers and asking for that to be reviewed, even when that's not in play. And that cost Benfica uh, their manager in this match. That cost, um, and I think that was ultimately. I think people are underplaying the impact that that had in this final result of losing the manager in the thirty seventh minute or whatever it was. Um. People have this idea that because players are professional that they don't even need a coach. Well, professional players are playing against other professional players. And when the other, you know, and at that level of competition, when the other professional players have a professional coach on the sideline, you know, managing them, whereas even in, you know, even if it was Befica's assistant coach that had to take over, okay, and and do the coaching duties. He's in a role that he's now not familiar with. And the equilibrium and the harmony and the 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 rhythm of the team is completely bro- broken. The dynamic is the word I'm looking for. The dynamic and how the team functions now has been broken and everyone is searching for their role and trying to figure out where to get uh where to get their instruction, their inspiration from. I know it, t- to the average fan, this sounds like an excuse, and I get that completely. But having been on a sideline, having been on a bench, when the when the head when the head coach, the manager, is no is removed from the staff, things break down. 
it's inevitable. There's no assistant coach in the world that can just step up, snap his fingers, and take over because all of a sudden your role has changed. It's no different than than on the field. It's it's very similar on the field when a player sent off and now your holding mid has to play center back. Yeah, we see it happen, but the holding mid going into center back is not going to play the effective, the same effective uh, game as a central defender that the center back plays that has trained in that position all week, that is prepared for the opposition. The holding mid has prepared for one assignment, and now he's got to adjust to the other. It's the same thing on the bench. It's the same exact thing on the bench, and I have spent, I had spent, I should say, the majority of my career as a, as a first assistant or a second assistant, and um, I can tell you that stepping in to take over it is different, because... Just because you're now all of a sudden the manager, you're you're sitting in as the head coach all of a sudden. Well, you're not the head coach. You didn't pick the initial players. You didn't set up the game plan. Yeah, you know what the head coach did. You were part of the planning. However, when it comes time to make substitutions, to make adjustments, you're still thinking from a mindset of what would the gaffer do? What would the manager do? Okay? Um... That that that's kind of the situation you find yourself stuck in in when you are that number one, the number one I should say the number two the first assistant coach okay, you find yourself because you're still answering to the manager okay yeah you could go out there and just coach the game the way you want to, and whatever happens happens and sure you take responsibility however you still have to answer to the head ma- the head manager the fir- the head coach okay. When you're just the assistant, he's going to ask you, why did you do this? Why did you do that? Why did you veer away from our game plan? Okay. The communication is very limited between the two when when a head coach has been sent off. Um, so I'll get into that a little bit more when we get there. But that is one of, uh, that is something I think is being overlooked by everyone. Okay. And... That's a dynamic that that is very, very important, and like I said, very overlooked. So in the thirty seventh minute, Philippe Kostic scores on a goal that is is clearly offside. Let's get to that. Okay, uh, you heard it there at the top of the of the podcast. Um, three players standing offside when when a shot was uh, taken, and it was by the. I think it was Rode, the the goal scorer of the second goal. Yeah, Sebastian Rode had the first shot. That ball comes off the post. Um, Philippe Kostic is standing in an offside position, but he puts the rebound in. Benfica players standing with their hands up. Um, as we just said, Bruno Lage goes over to the fourth official, does the signal for asking for the VAR, forgetting apparently that we don't have VAR in this competition, and he is sent off, uh, I believe it was the first assistant, Nelson Varissimo, taking over, okay? A little bit of uh, background on Varissimo. He is 41 years old, a former Benfica player at one time, four four first-team appearances, um, has made his career in... Uh, he went on to play for Alverca Academica, Vittoria Stubal, Fatima, and Mafra, retiring in 2012 and beginning coaching as a B-team assistant on Befica B in 2012, all the way to 19. He was a caretaker um, for the first for the first couple of matches when Bruno Lage was promoted. Um, 
he let's see here. He was yeah, he assumed the the position of caretaker. Um he assumed the position of caretaker for for a short time while when Bruno Lage was first promoted to the first team. Um and then Renato Paiva took over and Nelson Verissimo joined joined Bruno Lage in the first team as the assistant. Um, so he, I believe, was the one left with the responsibilities of managing the team uh, through the the, re- the remaining hour or so of this match. Um, the Benfica had a hard time go- getting going. Okay, um, a few chances. I'm not going to get into the into the tactical analysis that I normally do. This game was just yesterday. It. Uh, I have not had the time to study this game the way I, I would need to to give you the in-depth um, analysis of what happened. What I can do uh, is just, we'll talk about the fallout um, and the series of events that led to you know the ultimate elimination of our Benfica from Europe this year. Um, at halftime, I'm not certain, but I believe, I could be I could be wrong on this. But I believe UEFA would prevent Bruno Lage from uh, from the the locker room at halftime. I'm not a hundred percent certain of that, but I believe he would have to be removed. Um, and like I said, com- communication between him and Nelson Verissimo had to have been minimal. Uh, however, and I do see people questioning some of the substitutions for sure uh, in the second half. You know, not to mention. Uh, the the Salvio substitution probably the most, as that didn't. Some people saying that didn't seem to make sense. However, again, whether it's Bruno Lage calling for that substitution from the stand, or Nelson Verissimo making that. Here's the thing: is when a substitution's made, there's a conversation that goes on between the manager and the first assistant. Okay, that conversation now doesn't exist. It's a simple message. It's sub on Salvio or sub on Jonas instead of, you know, I'm thinking of subbing on Salvio. Oh, yes, and the first the first assistant is watching different things than the manager, okay? And it's very easy to say, oh, yeah, you could bring on Salvio. However, you know, they're, they're left back or they're right back. Whatever side you want to plug Salvio in is is looking, you know, is looking strong today. Salvio's, you know, not at his top form. We could say, for example, I'm just going to throw a name out there. I'm not saying this is the substitution to make. I don't even think he was on the bench. But that's where the the first assistant would say something like, oh, well, you know, Jota's faster. Jota's a player that, that that defender is not prepared for. Why don't you try making this change instead? What do you think? And that conversation goes on, okay? And Jota wasn't on the bench in this game. I used his name just as an example of what goes on in your average match on the sideline between two coaches. Um, and a lot of times, that's how substitutions get made. It's not so much... The head coach gets, you know, the, the recognition for making the substitution and gets the blame when it doesn't go well, okay? He gets the praise when it, when it's uh, a game-winning substitution. It's the blame when it doesn't go well, but it's really more of a team decision in most cases. Um, so, we would see that substitution here. It would be in the... Se- first in the 70th minute, PZ would come on, Samadish coming off, and... Uh, a lot of people thought PZ should have started. I I totally get why PZ didn't start. P, 
PZ does not have the same lungs and the same motor as as some of the other guys, okay? PZ brings something very unique. However, playing with a two-goal lead, and this is gonna, I know this is gonna piss you guys off because people hate this attitude, but the reality is you're going into a match with a two-nothing lead. PZ brings very little defensively, okay? And PZ brings less in work rate than than an Andreas Samadish or than a, a Jetson, if you would, okay? Um, PZ has a very specific game, and this game didn't necessarily call for PZ's game at the beginning of the game. Yes, I get where fans are coming from. I get that this pisses you off to hear, to no end to hear, to hear us make excuses or to, to say that we're not going in to win every single game. But the reality is there is another game Monday. And this idea that, you know, Mariti was somehow going to be easy or that you have, you know, top teams fall from Europe. Manchester City was knocked out the day before. Manchester City is the best football playing team on the planet. It's not Barcelona, it's Manchester City right now. Manchester City is playing much better football. Manchester City is in a dogfight for the Premiership. Okay? Pep Guardiola doesn't get this kind of of criticism. Maybe he doesn't make the same rotations. Maybe he... He has more players to choose from, first of all. He's got an unlimited bank account to, to pull, to, to bring in the players he wants. He's got t two players for every position, and then some. Okay? And Manchester City fans are not, are not sitting here this morning, or this afternoon, this evening, the day after going out of Europe, you know, pissing and moaning about how they don't take the Champions League serious enough. Okay? They're... They're not. There's an attitude in us. There's an attitude in Portuguese people and in Befiquistas that anything addressing any type of reality, any type of player fatigue, any type of, of squad management is thinking like a small team. Juventus sat Cristiano Ronaldo for, for a month and a half. And still, we're knocked out. Does that make Juventus a small team? Of course not. They're managing the players in the situations that they have at their disposal. Guess what? Massimo Allegri is going to be sacked at the end of the season. Or not renewed. Okay? Cristiano Ronaldo was, was, was saved, was rested. He produced. The team still lost. Sometimes these decisions work, and sometimes they don't. When you're the head manager, when you're the head coach, the manager, the mister, okay, you have to make decisions. Sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And the entire responsibility falls on you. And later on in Bruno Elijah's post-game presser, he accepts responsibility. He says, O rosto, or the face of our elimination in the Taça de Portugal, is solely mine as it is in the Europa League. He took this on, okay? He took it on. He still has to make the decision. And there isn't anybody in any job anywhere that gets their decisions 100% right.
Could the attitude have been different? Of course. Is this devaluing of the Europa League his decision, at least in full? I doubt it. Let's talk about that for a minute because fans are pissed off, and I get it. There's anger, there's disappointment. Fans cared a lot more about this Europa League than Befica's, front, Befica's office, or their board, I should say, more than their staff, more than their players. There's no doubt about that, okay? I'm not saying the players didn't want to win this game and didn't want to win this competition, didn't want to be in Baku for the final. I'm not saying that. But there are there is definitely a level of priorities established within the club, okay? And if fans' problems are with those priorities that are established, that has to be addressed at the very top, not at the at the manager, okay? He has a boss too. People sometimes think that these managers are independent contractors and that they work for themselves. No. Especially in a Bruno Lage situation promoted mid-season. Okay? From the B team to the first team. Okay? He does not get to act alone. Okay? He has a boss. And his boss has a boss. This lack of importance placed on this competition and on the other cups by the club, whether you agree with it or not, okay, is not set by the manager. It's not set by the players. There is a clear objective and there is an expectation that was set for Bruno Lage when he took over the team. Okay? His job is to fulfill those objectives and those expectations. And everything else, you know, would be extra. If Luis Felipe Vieira told him, my expectation when he put him in is that you're going to take this team to the Europa League final, you would have seen different man management. Okay? So this, this some people say, overvaluing the league. Again, Frankfurt... Okay, Frankfurt, let me give you their their recent form, okay, before this game. They lost the previous two, one of them to Benfica last week. They lost their league game. They threw it out this past weekend. Rotating players. They are they allow they put their focus in this competition because they got nothing to play for domestically. They're in fifth place in the Bundesliga. They they put they have recognized this is their ticket to the Champions League, the Europa League. Okay? So you have two clubs coming from two different perspectives. And it sounds like excuses. I know, if you're a pissed off fan, and trust me, I, I, this one hurt me a little too, okay? And I have said on this podcast week after week that I did. I also do not value this Europa League on par with the, the Liga Nash, okay? I don't, and I still don't. And I wouldn't have, I wouldn't trade Monday's game for for last night's game. Okay, I wouldn't trade a spot in the in the semifinals for three points on Monday. Absolutely not. And if that, if 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 you believe that makes me a small club-minded person, that's your your opinion. You have every right to that opinion, and I I respect that. Okay, I respect that. But if this club wants to compete on all fronts. Or if fans want this club to compete on all fronts, you have to demand of your team more in terms of of squad depth. 
You can't pull five youth players into the first team and expect to win four competitions. You don't see Man City, Liverpool. You don't see, uh, you know, Barcelona pulling in five youth team players to solve a min an injury crisis. Okay, that doesn't happen because they have the depth. Benfica doesn't have the depth. Benfica got rid of all of their forwards in the January transfer market. If Seferovic has an off night, we don't have another striker. Jonas isn't a striker. He's had to function as one. That's not his position. His natural position. He's a supporting forward who scores a lot of goals getting in between the lines. It's just like João Felix. Sometimes players are off. Jonas hasn't been himself. Okay? Jonas is also not not 25 years old. Okay? He's not going to be he he He's very comparable, very, very um, valuable in the Liga. In a European game, it's a little harder for him. Okay, The defenders are a little bit better. There is a difference between playing Eintracht Frankfurt and playing Ferenc. If you don't believe there is, then I mean, I can't, there's nothing I can say to convince you. Okay? Benfica have a lot of talent. Don't have a lot of depth. Okay? Don't have a lot of depth. We've had, last in the first leg, Jetson had to finish the game at right back. Okay? Benfica do not have a lot of depth. Nor does really any team in the Portuguese league. That's a reality. Football Club Porto does not have a lot of depth. When guys are hurt, they drop points. Whether it's in the league or it's in Europe. They had a fantastic European season. You know, hats off to them. They lost 6-1. to one. <laughs> You know, total against Liverpool, whatever. Um, but when they're missing players, their level drops. If Benficistas want to compete on all fronts and want to compete in Europe, you can't do it using kids. Okay, and I'm going to, Benfica after 90, okay, Mario made some great points uh, yesterday. Comparing Benfica to Ajax and the Ajax team that, that, that is there today. And I think he's spot on. Hit the, na hit na the nail right on the head, okay. He's spot on. Ajax didn't call those kids in this January. And advance to the semifinals of the the UEFA Champions League. They called them in like last January, the one before. This team has 18 to 24 months together. This Ajax team. It wasn't that long ago they were in the Europa League final, remember. In a season where I remind you, they were not champions uh, of the Netherlands. And in fact, I think they were... They were quite some distance behind PSV in the league uh, in in the, the Eddie Divisier that year, okay? Um, that makes a difference. Manchester United beat Ajax in the final of the Europa League in a year where they finished, what, sixth in the Premier League? Okay. 
Whether people want to admit it or not, the Europa League is a secondary competition. We want we want to win a European trophy so bad that we elevate it as Beitikistas, as fans. And like I said, this this loss hurt me. I thought we were gonna advance. I was I was down. Even though I don't value the tournament as much after the first leg, I thought we were gonna be at least in the last four. Okay. And I expected Benfica to see this one out. They did not. Okay, and I I didn't Friday morning, let me tell you, I didn't want to hear about soccer. I didn't want to hear about Benfica. Alright, I forced myself to listen to the other shows. I listened to, to Benfica After 90, like I said. Um, I went back and listened to Benfica Podcast again. I listened to Azagish. I listened to Benfica FM. Cassette Vermelha. Okay. Forced myself to listen to it. I, I wanted to completely detach from Benfica for a while. So... I'm not going to sit here and pretend I don't care because th this loss hurt me too. But, from the perspective of the mister, which is what I bring you, and people can criticize this, but the only thing you can do is move on to the next one. Okay? You move on to the next one, you get three points against Maritimo. Okay? And we'll we'll get to that game at the very end of the show tonight. Um, but, This game was another example, okay, another example of some of Benfica's weaknesses being exposed. And back to my original topic was, if Benficistas want to really compete in Europe, they have to demand more of the club. And that means you need, a, a, you need more depth, okay, you need more depth. And what you need to do, I think Befica are at the beginning stages of what can be a great run, including European success. I think Befica, if they do things right, can be can be where Ajax is in 18 months, in two years. And again, Mario brought up the debt that Befica have paid down. There is... Well, there is a reason, but to the average, to the fan, to the onlooker, there appears to be no reason to sell players at this point. These kids are young. They don't need to go abroad this young. They're worth a lot of money. Holding on to these players into their 20s can result in Benfica being in the Ajax position in two years. However, what nobody is talking about, and I don't think a lot of people know this, understand it, even know that it exists, is the role of the agents in top football clubs. Not just Benfica. The role of the agents in Ajax. The role of the agents at Valencia, at, at Manchester United, Manchester City, Juventus, okay? Top clubs. Agents wield a lot of power. So when you can't understand a certain player in the starting 11, a lot of times it comes down to the agents. Now, my years in this game, I've been fortunate enough to meet players 
and work with players that went on to play professionally. I've been fortunate to meet agents. Okay, I'm not going to name drop here. I'm not going to do that to anybody because I've had conversations in private with people. So I'm not going to disclose who, who these people are. But the agent in top-level football wields a lot of power at virtually every club. João Félix is managed by Georges Mensch, or is represented, I should say. Geste Foot, okay? Is the name of the agency. Now, it's easy for us as fans to say, well, don't do business with Georges Mensch then, because guess what? Georges Mensch is going to fight raising that, that clause for his client, okay? George Mins is going to try to move João Félix. George Mins does not work for Sport Lisboa Benfica. But if Benfica want to keep having players from George Mins, who has, you know, control of the majority of the best Portuguese players and probably has signed the majority of of the formação of the academy. Guess what? You gotta make George Mendes happy. So as much as we sit here and want to see players not be sold, there's more powerful people than Luis Fiera. And Luis Fiera, I'll talk about him in a moment, because he's not obviously devoid of any responsibility either. I think he he shoulders a lot of the of the blame here, but. It's not as simple as it looks to us on the outside. National teams nowadays, guys, girls, are picked by agents. We all do it. We we get angry with 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 in our case if you're Portuguese Fernando Santos. Um, we get angry with, you know, here in the United States the past manager Bruce Arena or Jurgen Klinsmann and now Greg Berhalter um, in Mexico they'll get angry at you know Javier Aguirre or or not, well, their new managers Tata Martino and Carlo, Juan Carlos Osorio was the the past uh, the most recent Mexico coach with the the selections Agents play a huge role in national team selections, just like they do in clubs. With that said, obviously, Befica still have to fight this. Befica have to find a way to keep the core of this team. We sold Jimenez for 41 million euros. Soljovic now for chump change. We're about to sell Kahilu. If João Felix leaves, no one else should leave. If you can't stop a team from from paying the, the buyout clause, that's one thing. And Mario hit this on the head. Ajax only sells when a team comes in at that buyout clause, if I understood correctly. 
That's how Benfica should operate. You you sign these buyout clauses, and you don't undersell. Do not repeat the mistake of Renato Sanchez. The poor kid has not been able to get his career back on the ground because he left too early. It's not because he's not talented enough. Okay? Another season or two on Benfica, and he would have... He'd be the starting... You know, he'd be starting every game undisputed in this Portuguese national team right now. He would be much higher. He wouldn't be on Bayern Munich. He'd be, you know, at a much higher level. He'd be on Real Madrid. He'd be on, on Barcelona, Juventus, Man City, Man United. He'd be on one of those top-tier clubs. And Bayern Munich is not in that tier, whether people want... Maybe they are with their play on the field. But in terms of their ability to sign players and their marketing... And their worldwide notoriety? No, they're not in the. They're not there with those other clubs. Okay, they're not. They want to be, but they're not. Renato Sanchez went to the wrong team at the wrong time, and I don't want the same for João Felix. Okay. So, if some, but if somebody comes and pays that buyout clause, it's it's a it's a legal matter. You can't block the sale player goes if the player wants okay um but Benfica need to keep this core together this is these are learning curves okay these disappointments in the Tassa in the Europa League are things that can be learned from and built from and this is these are learning curves to which can improve the team in 18 months if the team is kept intact if Ruben Dias is still here, if Ferro is still here, Florentino, okay, this experience is is invaluable to this to these young players. It also is important to know the disappointment. It's important to know the feeling that these players felt on Thursday night in Germany, if they're going to grow as players. But if you're just going to sell everybody, it's all for naught. Because we're back in the same position, you know, 18 months from now with another great young class of players that are, you know, blowing us away, but are young. And we're right back to the learning curves. And Benfica's been in, the, in Portuguese football as a whole is stuck in this in this rut. Because we've become a seller league, a sell, or at least our top three teams are sellers. We produce talent and we sell. A lot of that's out of our control. Very few fans understand the Bossman ruling, okay, which allows free movement of trade, uh, or free movement of people in search of trade or in search of work throughout the European community. That includes footballers. That's why you cannot limit foreigners in the Portuguese league. Why you cannot limit foreigners, you know, and that it'll be interesting to see how the Brexit. Um, impacts Premier League clubs. It's not going to impact the top clubs very much because the top clubs are going to be able to get players to qualify for permits, but be interested to see how it affects like a Wolves, Leeds United, um, who will be in the Premier League next year. A Leicester City. Okay. Everton. The type of teams that, that are fighting to try to get good bargains for players like the ones we produce year in and year out. Okay, to try to get them at value 
and raise the level of their team when British citizens are no longer considered part of the European Union, or I should say EU citizens no longer have that right to work in Britain, um, at least not freely, without you know certain procedures. be interesting to see how that happens, but there's a lot of people talking and a lot of people that do not fully understand everything that causes the situations we find ourselves in it with Benfica and with other clubs like other clubs just like us throughout Europe. So I want to get to why does Benfica take the Tasa and the Europa Leagues? Why do they not take it seriously and who is responsible? Obviously, I can't think I don't think anyone can disagree the responsibility falls on the club. And the club is represented by the president Luis Felipe Vieira. However, I don't want to hear Luis Felipe Vieira ever talk about soccer or about football. Uh, he's shown his, his knowledge in football is very limited, and he should not be making any football decisions. What I would have liked to seen after Thursday's elimination is Rui Costa, okay? Because he takes uh, he is the one that has the credibility. My he's my idol. I, I said it on on Benfiquistas Worldwide. Rikasha's my idol growing up. The ultimate Benfiquista, the number 10. Okay. He he has his role now as a club director. I think he's the one that needs to go public and defend Bruno Lage. Give a vote of confidence to Bruno Lage right now. Give a vote of confidence to the players. And he needs to say that as a club, we did not we do not place the same importance on the Europa League as we do the Liga Naj. Here are our reasons. Fans can dislike it all they want, but then it's clearly stated. Then you're not whistling players. Do you think Fasia wants to be on the field in a match like this and be a liability to his team? Do you think that any player wants to underperform? The club have certain expectations and certain objectives, like I said. And when the Europa League or the Tasa Portugal or the Tasa Liga is not in the same importance, they get they get less love, uh, for lack of a better term. Rui Costa needs to come out and say, we do not value the... He's not going to do it. But he needs to say this. The manager shouldn't be up there accepting responsibility if it's not his decision in full. If it is, then good for him. He took the responsibility. We move forward. And next year, it's understood that we take Europe more seriously. Or we take the Tasa de Portugal more seriously. The Tasa de Liga, whatever it may be. Okay? But there needs to be accountability for everyone. I already talked about the role of agents. I'm going to skip that. That was my next bullet. Um, lastly, Benfica are not the only ones that put little importance on the UEFA Europa League. UEFA puts no importance on the UEFA Europa League when they don't even use the VAR. You're going to use VAR in the Champions League and not in your other competition. That tells everybody that this is your first division, this is your second division, okay? Benfica, uh, Benfica sees that. 
as do other clubs, and say, okay, this tournament's not as important. UEFA won't even hook up the VAR. Well, you're going to tell me UEFA doesn't have the money to outfit stadiums with VAR? In the Europa League knockout stages? When you can put VAR in Santa Maria da Feira? It's not perfect. It's not, you know. But in in terms of fairness, if it's going to... This has been my problem with VAR since it was introduced, since it was even first conceived. It's going to work in some places and not in others. And it's it's held true. Once you open that Pandora's box and you have a VAR in some games and not in others, uh, now it's it, it's a crapshoot. It tells everybody that some games are more important than others. And psychologically, this comes down into the players, into the coaches, into the fans. Okay? Manchester City went out of the Champions League, rightfully so, because the VAR was used to get the right call. Benfica, with VAR, had the rest of the game played out the same, and of course it's impossible to know. But you put this game in a bubble, and you do it with VAR, and Benfica are in the semifinals. Whether they deserve to or not is a different argument. So UEFA right there is saying, these teams deserve to get... The fair result, and these teams, if there's an unjust result, you know, so be it. My other problem, and I've been against this since day one, and Benfica's benefited from this rule, by the way, even though it's been great for Benfica. Since day one, I have been against this notion of teams being knocked out of the Champions League in the group stage and being dropped into the Europa League. There's another example of why teams don't take this competition seriously, especially teams that are that come down. We've seen it in the past, where a Man City. I'm, I keep saying them this year, this year, uh, tonight. Keep mentioning Man City, Juventus. Big clubs finished third in their Champions League group, and they're out of the champion. They're out of the Europa League within two rounds. They don't put that. In, it, it's it's such a drop. I think UEFA needs to stop. And I think the plan is to stop at some point. Dropping teams from the Champions League into the Europa League. You're either in one or you're in the other. Because if you're in the Europa League from the beginning of the competition, it's a hell of a lot more important to you than if you jumped in in the middle. And it's the same thing in the Tasa de Liga. The, the top teams don't come in until the very end. They play three games and, they, and they're in the final four. Whereas... You know, whereas Penafiel or, or Oliveres in the second division start in the very first prelim stage because they're at the bottom of the second division. Okay? Some teams play 11 or 12 games while others play three. This it, UEFA needs to get this right, okay? They need to stop dropping teams from the Champions League into the Europa League. I know why they do it. It's money. It's just, it, it drops brands. Big brands into the competition and gives it a little bit of life, whereas otherwise you have lots of small clubs. But from the competitive standpoint, the competition is hurt by teams being relegated into it midseason. That's just my opinion. That's uh, that's all I'm going to say on the Europa League. It's it's done. It's dusted. We made it to the last eight again. Um, very unfortunate not to be. Going into the semifinals, but there's no time to cry about it. Okay, 
There's five league matches left. There's no more excuses. There's nothing else to take our attention away. Benfica must win Monday against Maritimo. Plain and simple, all right? I know this segment went long. Stay where you are. We're going to roll an ad. We're going to come back with Reconquista. There's not going to be any news this week because this is the news. I just went over it. Basically, this is the only news that matters, all right? And we're going to review the Stuball game on the other side. Hang tight. You're listening to Mr. Benfica. Sofrida a glória da vitória tem que ser bem nutrida Na reconquista do que é nosso por direito Que eu não fico por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós Até que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz, o querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz, o querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz, o querer de todos nós Carregas sozinho em cada esquina um vizinho Sente o carinho do Algarve até ao Minho O vermelho pinta a Tuga e é isso o teu colinho Na reconquista do que é nosso por direito Que não vi por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo Alright, welcome back everybody. Now we're going to rewind to last Sunday. Okay, and we're going to go and revisit Benfica versus Vitória Stubel, Stadio de Luz. 4-2 in favor of Benfica. Disclaimer, it's been talked about everywhere. I'm not going to talk about fans leaving early. I'm not going to talk about lack of environment in the stadium. I'm not going to talk about uh, the flashlight mob that people either love or hate. Okay, that's been talked about everywhere else. Okay, um, I'm going to stick to the game here. I'm going to stick to what happened within the four lines. Okay, um, this was... An important victory for Benfica, uh, obviously, as we keep marching forward towards the finish line of this season. Um, another must win. So I'll go right into the, the lineups here. Um, the crowd was 56,000, whether or not um, they were all there at the end and whether or not the game was sold out. That's a discussion for another another time. Okay, Not being there, not being able to be at the stadium, I have a very hard time making any kind of uh, criticism of any Befica fan, okay, who went to a game, whether or not they left early, I wasn't there to see it, so I'm not gonna, 
I'm not gonna gonna comment on that. So the starting lineups with starting with Vitoria Stubal in goalie Makarizzi, okay, was in goal uh, across the back. The right back was Manu, center back pairing Artur George, Vasco Fernandes, and Andre Souza. In the midfield, Savio Roberto, Ruben Mikael, my namesake there. <laughs> Funny side point. I one of my jobs. I often have to translate uh, for Brazilian customers, okay? So I end up having, I'm the only person in the department of 80 people that speaks any port that speaks Portuguese, okay? And we have a lot of customers that are Brazilian, and I find myself having to help, you know, stop everything I'm doing whenever there's a Brazilian uh, Portuguese-speaking customer that has cannot communicate effectively enough in English. And I always introduce myself as Mikael. <laughs> Obviously, my name is Michael, legally, but in order, I used to just say Mike, and a Brazilian person once asked me, Mas, que nome é esse? <laughs> what kind of name is that? So I said, it's Michael or Mikael, and I've used Mikael for the last three years since I've been there. Um, so, uh, and I wouldn't even know the name really exists, to be honest, if not for this player, who I'm not a fan of, but... Uh, between this guy and the singer Mikael uh, Carreira, I I decided to adopt that name when speaking Portuguese just to give a name that people can't pronounce and understand. So I digress back to the game. Mikael uh, is par partnered with Eber Bessa in the midfield, and the left midfielder was the veteran Nuno Valente. Up front, Iliberto Pereira wearing just Berto on his shirt, former Benfica Academy player, and Yonder Cadiz, the Venezuelan uh, forward. Benfica would start with Odi in goal as usual. The back line unchanged under Almeida, Juventus, Ferro, and Grimaldo. Midfield uh, would be the same as in the pre as in the Ferenc match, uh, minus Minus one, there was one change, I should say. Pizzi comes returns at, at midfield, as usual. So the partnership of Florentino and Samaris, which I, I'm coming to like, uh, took the middle, with Florentino taking more of a six role and Samaris kind of playing more as an eight. And Rafa returns to the lineup after missing the Fadens game on suspension. And what a game he had up front, João Felix and Sadis Seferovic, the top scorer in the Liga Nash. Okay, um, we're going to go right to the ticker. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about, you know, the pregame. And uh, we're not going to talk about Polemica. We're not going to, because we've already fast-forwarded past this game, I'm just going to go through it, all right? Um, but if you could score in the first in the first minute, uh, a nice little flick, if you will, from Rafa um, on a cross that came from João Felix. And Benfica, when they start like this, uh, I have one hundred and ten percent confidence in Benfica when they get off to this kind of start. This is the Benfica that we would have needed and could have used in Germany a few days later. But um, you know, Benfica would control this game. Stubal would would put up a good fight. Remember, Stubal are playing for survival as well, so they didn't come to to Stade de Luge to to uh, just be spectators. Although I always find it funny when I hear commentators after we beat somebody four to two in this case <laughs> commend the other team for coming out and not parking the bus and not 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 just holding defensive lines. Uh, 
Yeah, it's great for us when teams don't do that. I always find it funny when Benfica commentary commends the other team, and it's like, well, maybe they should have done that if they were coming here to get a result. But anyhow, Benfica have uh, take the lead, and then we're going to fast forward straight through. We're going to go to minute 27, where Ruben Mikael is shown a yellow card for a handball, a clear handball, not called originally. Had to go to VAR. Referee goes to VAR, to VAR. He he uh, gives the penalty kick, but PZ misses it. Okay, and this is the third penalty kick missed by Benfica this year. And Rui Costa, you gotta go out there and sign a penalty taker for next season. This is ridiculous. Jonas is doesn't play enough to be the the penalty taker. Seferovic clearly does not take penalty kicks. You have to find a place in the team for a a, a legitimate penalty taker, in my opinion. That those three goals could could equal points as this this race to the finish gets you know closer and closer. In the thirty fifth minute, Rafa gets another goal. Okay, a right footed shot from the left side of the box, brilliant goal. It was assisted again by Jean Felix. Okay, um, Benfica just pouring it on at this point. But in the 38th minute, uh, things change a little bit. A beautiful goal, actually, for, for Nuno Valente and for Vittorio Stubal. A nice nutmeg by our friend Berto there, by Edibert. Ildibert, excuse me. Edibert is the one in, in Morirense. This is Ildibert uh, beating Ferru with a, with a nutmeg, um, putting it through the wickets. And then a nice... Touch from I believe it was Mikael to Valente. Valente takes a touch inside. Yes, it was Ruben Mikael who holds up the ball just the right amount of time uh, to draw the defenders before dishing to Nuno Valente who buries it. And it was a very nice goal. And this is a very, very experienced Stubal team, and it showed. And we'll go to halftime two to one for Benfica. Okay, we'll come back into the second half, and we're just gonna hit the major talking points. 53rd minute, a yellow card for Andres Souza um, on a bad foul on Andrew Felix. And in the 55th minute, João Felix scores. Another good right-footed shot on a play that he scored a few times on this season. Peasy with a brilliant cross from the right. And uh, Felix running diagonal into the box, coming from the left. Gets it with the right, the inside of his foot, and just places it top right corner. No way the goalie was going to save that. Three to one for Benfica, and Benfica rolling. Rafa receives the yellow card in the 58th. In the 63rd, Stubal make a substitution. Zakinha comes in replacing Gildiberto, and also Sekgota uh, comes in and replaces Nuvalet. Fast forwarding a yellow card in the 66th for Andre Almeida, fouling Eberbeza. Um, and in the 76th, this was something that was building because it looked like Befica was trying at this point to get to get uh, Seferovic a goal. Seferovic was trying very hard also, as uh, Bruno, Bruno Fernandes had already scored. So at this point, with the team in the lead 3-1, to one, it looked like there was a... a a conscious, intentional effort being made to to get Seferovic his his goal. He gets it here. A very nice finish, but it was it was a kind of a forced pass that I think I think Rafa could have taken himself for the hat trick, but unselfishly gives it up, and Seferovic finds the far post, 
um, left shotted uh, foot, his his preferred left foot, and he slid it in brilliantly. Um, 78th minute was a substitution. Tiago Castro comes in for Ruben Mikael. Uh, 79th minute, we see Adele Tarapt replace João Felix, um, and Tarapt gets a few more run-ins, a few more minutes run in. And I have to mention, I have to give, <laughs> I have to give props to Cynthia. I think it was Cynthia on Azagiers that said this, and she said <laughs> how much Tarapt looks like the rapper Drake. And as I'm looking on the football app, and I look at his. As this is the first week he's actually had a picture up until this week. Uh, there's been no picture next to him. He's had the little silhouette like you see on FIFA when it's a created player. Uh, on FIFA or on uh, on a winning 11, whatever your preference of soccer video game is. But this week, Tarapt has a headshot. And wouldn't you know it, he looks just like the rapper Drake. <laughs> Good observation by the ladies there on uh, on Azagish. Um Props for that. And they're... Spot on. The, the guy looks like Drake. 80th minute, Vasco Fernandez is shown a yellow card for a foul on Ruben Dias. So we get to the 83rd minute now, and uh, 85th minute. 83rd is when it happened, sorry. It was verified with the bar on the 85th, but it is a play. It looks like a nothing play at first. Uh, Ruben Dias wins a ball in the air as he's coming down. Um, he loses control of his hands, and we see. Let's see who was the player. We see Vasco Fernandes go down. Vasco Fernandes, the the uh, Stuval player, doesn't look like anything at first. Okay, referee goes to VAR. Okay, um, and what you're about to hear from me might not be popular with Benficaistas, but I have to. Be consistent and be honest. You've heard me on this podcast week after week. When decisions go to VAR, what do I say about penalty kick? We had one. We benefited from one last week. Okay, our rival said it was a soft call. In the age of VAR, I don't believe there's a such thing as a soft call. It's a yes, there was contact, or no, there was not. Okay. Video confirms, yes, there was contact by Ruben Diaz's arms on Vasco's face. Okay? Penalties well awarded. I, I agree with the referee. He has called softer penalties. Okay? This is... It's a penalty kick. End of story. Just because it happens against Befica doesn't mean I don't believe that it's a penalty kick. No, it's either a no, there was no contact, or a yes, there was. The video confirms that yes, there was. Video cannot make a judgment call. Video can only tell you, can answer a yes or no question. And therefore, the answer was yes. Penalty well awarded. And Jean scores and makes it 4-2. to two. And we would go, and that would be the final result, okay? Jonas would come on for the last two minutes. Um, but the match would end. Jota would get the last the the stoppage time. He'd replace Rafa, and get a, a run in and uh, a match appearance bonus. But again, Befica get the three points. Let's go to the standings. And Befica sit top of the table, seventy two points, level with Porto, but ahead on head to head. Regardless of what they say on Goal TV, head to head. 
Sporting third with 67, Braga fourth with 61, Morinense fifth right now on 49, Vitória Guimarães sixth with 45, Bulanes Sad, aka Code City, 40 in seventh, Santa Clara 37 in eighth, Riuav 35 points in ninth, and then you have Portimonense, Desportivas Aves, and Maritimule, all tied for 10th with 33 points. One behind them is Vitória Stubal with 32 in 13th. Boa Vista, also on 32 and 14th. Tundela, out of the drop zone, finally, um, with 30, 31 now, as I speak to you here. Um, having Some of these teams have already played. They played on Friday, and Tundela is in that, in that category. Um, Tundela now is four points from the drop, all right, and... Nacional is 16th on 27. Chaves, 17th on 25. Feirens officially relegated um, by Tundela. Tundela in Tundela's results yesterday. Feirens now officially relegated. Um, and to be honest, good riddance. I don't really want to see any more games in that stadium. <laughs> no offense to the fine Benficistas of Santa Maria da Feira. But... Uh, of course, you know, being re could, could they could be replaced by a team with an even worse stadium in terms of uh, in terms of seating and facilities and uh, VAR capabilities. So, however, uh, yeah, we we'll say goodbye to Feyenoord. Benfica will not be playing them next season. Um, the rest of it's still way up in the air. Five games, some of them have four to go, and four points. Well, no, I should say. Five, four points separate Shavs from safety. No, seven, six points, excuse me. Shavs of 25, Tondela 31. So Shavs are looking more and more likely for the drop as well. And I know I have a lot of a lot of friends that are Flavians that are from the Shavs municipality up there in Trajusmontes originally. And uh, hoping they can pull it out still. Um, Nacional also starting to look bleak. They're going to have to start getting some results as they sit in 16th on 27 points. Um, go forward with the goal scorers. Alright, if you just give me one moment here. And... As it pulls up, Seferovic is the top goal scorer with 19 goals. Bruno Fernandes second on 16. Diego Souza. And Bajdos tied on 14. Tikin Swaj with 13. Rafa now jumps up with 12. Juan Felix with 11. Jonas with 10. Tomanel with 10. And Wilson Eduardo of Braga with 10 assists. Pizzi with 15. Bruno Fernandes with 11. Grimaldo with 8. Andre Almeida with 8. Tecatito Corona with 8. Chiquinho with 7, Alex Telic with 6, Diego Souza with 6, Eber Bessa with 6, Sean Felix with 6. That rounds out the, the stats. Let's go back to the match here. And I will go through the statistics for you really quickly. As my computer is slow. <laughs> Here's the statistics. Befica winning the possession 60% to 40 
Uh, total shots of 20, while Stubal had a total shots of 15. Benfica, 400 accurate passes. Two Stubals, 230. For an 87% success rate for Benfica, 76% for Stubal. Um, Benfica with 18 fouls versus Stubal's 16. Four corners for Benfica, five for Stubal. Offsides, one for Benfica, zero for Stubal. Um, so the stats tell a much closer game than I think it was. But sometimes statistics do that. That's why you can't just go by statistics. And lastly, I'll go through the player ratings here. Vlako Dimash had a 5.8. He's really, he's struggled lately. Um, and Thursday was a continuation. Um, still a very good shot stopper, but the other aspects of goalkeeping right now are seeming to give him trouble. Alder Almeida with a 6.9, according to FootMob. Ruben Dias, 6.7. Fehu with a 7.0. Grimaldo, 6.8. Uh, across the midfield, Pizzi, 7.2. Samadi, 7.0. Florentino Luiz, 7.5. And putting in the man of the match performance with a 9.3 was Rafa Silva. Also, not too shabby from João Felix, getting a 9.1. Seferovic was 7.6. Um, one interesting stat that I think does tell a story. Okay, and this is going back to Thursday's game as well. This is this is relevant for both games. Um, and this leads to Benfica's inability to hold on to, to, to leads in the second leg, in my opinion. So since the Gabriel injury in the, what was it, the 30th maybe minute of the second leg of the Taça de Portugal at Estadio de Alvalade, um, Benfica have allowed eight goals since that injury, and that's so that's eight goals in four and two thirds matches. Whereas, to <clears throat> before that injury, to find eight goals surrendered before the injury, you got to go back thirteen matches to count eight goals allowed by Benfica um, before the Gabriel injury. That goes back almost to the start of the Brunelage era in January. It, it goes back to early February. Um, and here's what I think, and this is why this injury really concerned me at the time and really concerns me going into each match. Gabriel was so important in <clears throat> the enormous work rate that he put out. Okay, He had an output that was just ridiculous in terms of pressure, in terms of of space covered in terms he allowed the two forwards to press high if you notice Benfica's press has not been nearly what it was since we lost Gabriel Gabriel was the third part of that tripod that that, that made it work and the the Gabriel Samadis partnership in midfield and the dynamic that they had with each other and the way that they covered spaces protected our back line. Okay, our young, young back center back pairing is what I should say. Okay, um, with Gabriel out of the lineup, our center backs are being exposed more. Uh, the second goal for 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 Eintracht comes off a poor clearance from 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 Ruben Dias. Okay. Stubal's goal in this game comes from uh, Ferro being beat, being megged by by Eddie, by Ildeberto. All right, um, I'm very concerned, and and I think these stats I just read to you about the goals allowed tell the story of just how much Gabriel meant to this team, and um, 
It's not going to make it an easy last five games, okay? Every game is going to be an absolute, uh, ang it's going to be a souffrir, like we say, okay? There's going to be lots of souffrement, lots of, uh, I don't want to say, in English it sounds, doesn't sound appropriate to say suffering uh, the way it seems to in Portuguese, but it's going to be very stressful, very, very intense, very tense last five games. I believe Benfica have everything to get to win these five games and win the championship, okay? Um, two very, very difficult road games, but they have been able, especially in Portugal, to play well on the road as of late. The points we've dropped as of late have been at home. So, um, I do believe Benfica have, they have enough there and enough in the tank to get across the finish line first. Okay? Um, I think this Samadish-Florentino pairing may be where we go the rest of the way, which is unfortunate for Jetson, who I think brings something different. But, uh, Florentino is even more of a true six than Samadish. Samadish is an adopted six, six and a half kind of. And now he he can play more as a as an eight and a half, if you will. Uh, sort of a a box to box midfielder. I think Samadish has more freedom. He has he has the ability paired with Florentino to do more offensively and to show that he can help in that in that uh, capacity of the game. His contract status has me very concerned. He's, they've come to an impasse, supposedly, where they cannot agree on a new contract. And honestly, I forget at this point which which um, show I was listening to, which was saying Benfica has no leadership. It was Benfica after ninety. It was it was Alex on Benfica after ninety asking who's the cap. You know who's really the captain on this team. Almeida wears the the armband, but who's really? And I think honestly, and yeah, Fasia has been great for us, but I think Samadij is the one we have to resign. Samadij stays healthy. Samadij, when playing, quickly becomes one of our key players, and I think Samadij is the ideal captain for this team. Okay. You, if you watch, he is the one spurring on players. He is the one clapping his hands, getting guys going. You know, when they make a mistake, he's the one to come in to tell them to focus and to pick it up. When they do something well, he's he's encouraging. When when needed, he steps in. He steps between players and, and opponents. He steps between players and the referee. Andreas Samadis is the epitome of a captain. Befica, Luis Felipe Vieira, pay the man whatever he wants. I'm not kidding. If you're going to sell players, especially, especially if João Felix is going to be sold, give this man Samadis what he wants. Put that captain armband on him. It comes from you. Don't even leave it up to the coach to Rui Costa. And if Luis Fieta doesn't do it, Rui Costa, you do it. You sign this player and you name him captain, okay? Jardel is no longer going to be a first choice player going forward. Okay, our center back pairing needs to be Ruben Dias and Fehu going forward past this season. I don't want to see either of them sold. I don't believe either of them should be sold. There's no need to sell either of them. Okay, again, we're going to go back. I know the agents are going to work hard to get to move them on, but you have to resist that. 
and maybe I'm contradicting what I said earlier about how if you want to do business with these agents, you have to do business. But however, Befica also has to hold ground because maybe again contradicting what I said earlier, George Mendes needs Befica as much as Befica needs George Mendes. Okay, there needs to be less cowering and more standing up to the agents. Okay. This, this back line needs to be kept intact. Samadish plays the perfect position to wear the armband. In the middle of the field, he can speak to everybody. Make it happen, Rui Costa. Make it happen. I don't trust Luis Felipe Vieira to know anything about football, so I shouldn't have even said that it's, it's his responsibility. It is Rui Costa's responsibility to re-sign this player, give him what he wants, tell Luis Felipe Vieira you need X amount of, uh, of euros, okay? You take it from that sale, you give this guy his money, you pay him what he's owed, and he captains this team for the next two, three seasons, okay? That's my opinion. That's what I'm sticking with, all right? Um, I don't have anything else for this for this week's show, do I? Um, nope, I do not. Um, I did get some information, or I should say I did get some inquiry from some listeners, and I got a, a special message from, from Neil up in Canada. Shout out, Neil. Thank you for, for, for the support. Thank you for the show. He's asking about tickets for uh, the ICC. So I've got my Ticketmaster up here. I went through ICC, the ICC's website. It just links to Ticketmaster at this point. Okay. So if you go to Ticketmaster here in North America and you search for, just put in the search Befica, it'll show you the events. Click on the events. Find the game you're looking to go to. For the AC Milan Benfica game here in in New England, here in Foxborough, okay, the upper bowl is not open. The upper level is not open for this game. It's just the lower level on one side with the with the two levels on the other. Tickets are starting at forty five dollars a piece right now. Um, I believe the Benfica fans are are going to be. Hold on, I got what's it say here? The Benfica fans are opposite of the Patriot Place. Uh, end of the field. I'm not 100% certain. I'm pretty sure if you contact the ICC through their contact us um, function on their website, they can tell you which end of the stadium was designated for Benfica. When it was the pre-sale, I did know that um, I do know that Benfica fans, I think, were designated in the the end the uh, the end of the field. That is opposite of Patriot Place. Okay, so when you're coming in, and you when you're looking at the map on Ticketmaster to the le- all the way to the left, there's a small little icon that says Patriot Place, and you can see an opening in the stadium. Okay, that's the entrance to the stadium. There's an opening in the bowl. Um, that end there, I do believe, is designated for AC Milan fans. The opposite end. Okay, sections one sixteen. Through 125 and 215 through 218, I believe are designated as Befica um, sections. Double check with Ticketmaster for that, okay? Um, again, they're $45 a piece before handling fees, before taxes. Uh, you know, all of that gets added in there. Um, that's the lowest price right now. Uh, there are tickets in the middle of the pitch for more money. Um, Let's see here. There are $55 tickets in the corner on the second level. $60 tickets on the fir- in the corner on the first level. 65 and 75 along 
along the center of the field, 85 in the three middle center, uh, the three most central sections. Um, but uh, there are good tickets available still, and uh, as I look at this, there looks like there's plenty of empty seats. Um, allow me to zoom out. And sometimes I wish there was a video component here so I could just show you what I'm looking at. But it, it appears there's plenty of empty seats here for this match. Um, so go ahead and get those tickets. Also, I also have got for the match against uh, Roma at Red Bull Arena. I had that up as well. It seems to have disappeared from my screen. Now here it is right here. Roma Benfica also very comparable. The upper level at Red Bull Arena going for forty four dollars. Looks like there's plenty of seats. I don't know which sections are designated for which team, but to be honest with you, I don't expect many Roma fans. There are not many Roma fans out, out there. And last year against Juventus, um, every section was a Benfica section essentially. So plenty of uh, of good price tickets still available. Forty four dollars. Uh, those of you listening in Portugal are probably exploding with the thought of uh, of these ticket prices because I know the what it costs to go to a game in Portugal can be a lot less, especially a friendly. But, yep, that this is what they charge us here in North America when Befica comes to play. And if you uh, look at some of the other games with some of the bigger-name teams, such as the, the Manchester Uniteds or the – I don't think they're coming to the United States this year, but uh, the, the Barcelonas and Real Madrids, um, when they do come – those tickets range much higher than this. Uh, but that that's what I got on ticket information. Alex has already got his tickets in California. Um, I'm sure they're going higher. I'm sure there's much more demand given that they're playing Chivas out in California. Check Ticketmaster.com. That's the safest place to get your tickets. Don't go through third-party uh, third party sites. They're going to overcharge you because they want to get their cut. Um, although, if you want to use SeatGeek, there are, if you listen to soccer podcasts, there are plenty of of codes out there. Um, all you got to do is listen to listen to the World Soccer Talk podcast, or listen to um, listen to the Total Soccer Show, and uh, they're sponsored by SeatGeek. So uh, almost every episode, they give out a, a SeatGeek uh, access code that will get you $20 off your first purchase. So if you if you want to go through SeatGeek, you can do that. I'm going to pull it up right now and just see what what Befica tickets are going for on SeatGeek. Give me one moment and I will pull it right up. And they're starting at $55. So they're about $10 more through a third-party website. If the game should sell out, these third-party websites become your best option. But um, also, if it gets close to game time, you might find if you might you might find tickets much much cheaper uh, on the third parties as the game gets closer if seats remain unsold. But um, that's going to be it for this week. Um, I hope that you guys have a good weekend. A happy Easter to all who celebrate. Um, happy Passover to those who celebrate. Um, however. In the midst of recording, I am finishing this a disclaimer. I'm finishing this up on Saturday morning right now. It's Saturday morning. It is not Friday night anymore. Um, 
And I gotta add this tidbit in because I stopped recording um, mid-segment <laughs> mid because my Instagram live uh, went went crazy. Eddie Fernandes is uh, a one of the players for Benfica's women's team, okay, and while recording this show, and I had said I wanted, I wanted to know if anyone knew how to access this game, if they knew how to get a ball of TV, I still want to know if anyone has access to the feed of this match, if they can please send me a direct me uh, message with a link, I want to watch this match and break it down, because Benfica's women's team are going to Jamud, ladies and gentlemen, this is the uplift that at least I personally needed, okay? When the game at its rawest form, our second division women's team has knocked off the first place, first division, Sporting Braga, 4-2 to two this morning, this morning in Braga at the Primeiro de Maio. Alex, happy 420. <laughs> Stoke one up, okay? Light it up. Befica's women are going to the Jamur. We're in the final of the Taça de Portugal Feminino. Okay? We're as a second division team. Okay? They went up there and they beat the league leaders from the first division. 4-2 to on the road. Befica wins. wins. It finishes 4-3 four, four, on aggregate. Benfica women are going to the Jamur. Congratulations to all of the ladies. Congratulations to all of the fans that traveled up to Braga for that game. There was a good-sized crowd. There was a great video on Instagram Live. Okay, um, If you search for it, you'll find it. Um, Fans celebrating with the players, chanting 1904, 1904, la 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 la, you know, and the Benfica, the fans are singing it with the players. Our girls are going to the Jamur. I don't doubt for a minute they're going to win that Taça de Portugal. We're going to go into the first division next year as the cup holders. How does that sound, Sporting Club Portugal, huh? How's that sound? For the, you think that we're not for real? They thought we weren't for real. We'll see you. We'll see you in the Super Cup if you're lucky enough to catch Braga and win the league. And that, I'm going to close on that note. All right, congratulations. Um, again, Benfica play Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, 12 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. in Portugal, if I'm not mistaken. Gold TV, BTV, wherever you watch your Benfica games. All right, let's keep up the faith, guys. All right, this thing isn't over. This is where the team can show character, to come, to bounce back, show some mental fortitude, show some character. Let's take this match. I, I'm not going to get um, to Petit. I was originally planning to it. Essentially, Petit has admitted that he had players take yellow cards on purpose to miss the Benfica match because the following week they play Tondela, and he doesn't want them missing that match. He did the same thing against Porto. The media is overblowing this. Sergio Conceição is overblowing this. Guess what? Every coach does it. I don't care. I honestly don't care. We After the performance Portimonense, if you want to call it that, put on the field against Porto last season, Sergio Conceição, you have nothing to say. Antonio Folha was sitting there holding hands with you while, while Portimonense were spectators letting you take three points for free last week. Jackson Martinez was on the field, supposed to be playing against you, did nothing. Okay, 
you were completely gifted a victory last week by Portimonense. You got nothing. You have no right to say anything about Petit in this situation. Okay, uh, Petit has been nothing but a professional since the day he became a manager, and um, his ob- objective is is to guarantee guarantee survival to stay out of the relegation zone, and he's right now six points from the line. So he needs he needs three points against Tondela next week. That's his objective. It's not helping you, okay? It's not helping you. Get over yourself, all right? You get plenty of help from everybody else. You've been helped by every other team. You get help from the referees. Enough is enough, all right? We'll, everyone enjoy the game Monday. Again, happy Easter, happy Passover. Um, have a great week, guys. Befica's coming back, okay? After Monday, we'll start to settle back in feeling good again. All right, next week we will we will review the Maritimo game and we will preview the big the big clash with Braga next next weekend. Okay, at the uh, Pedreira. Have a great weekend, everybody. Again, don't forget to to hit me up Twitter at Mr Benfica, Instagram at Mr Benfica, Facebook Mr Benfica. All right, um, if you don't follow the show yet, go ahead and follow it there. Um, Catch us on iTunes, Spotify, uh, catch us on Stitcher, on Anchor, on Google Podcasts. Now also on TuneIn, just got picked up by TuneIn, um, CastBox, Radio Public. They're, we're just about everywhere at this point, alright? Have a great week, everybody. Enjoy. Forza Benfica, carrega Benfica, damu 37.